If you have your Bible today, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Now, as you turn there, I want you to think about this idea of hope. One author said that some give the appearance of being hopeful, but in reality, they're living in denial. They appear to be filled with all sorts of hope, but they're really just kind of walking around in denial. Uh, Their hope is unfounded and imaginary, and it works hard to be unattached from reality, meaning um, they have hope, at least they think they do, because they just try to pretend that nothing is really happening. So is hope possible? Yes. But the way to hope is not to pretend like there is nothing going on. In fact, the early church was very much aware of what was taking place. They were facing great persecution. Acts chapter 5 verse 40 tells us that the apostles were called in, that they called in the apostles, and they had them flogged, okay? They had them beaten. But the very next verse says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. So in verse 40, they're brought in and beaten. And then in verse 41, when they're released, they leave rejoicing. They have hope and joy in the midst of a really difficult situation. You see, it's hard to ignore flogging. They were very much aware of what they were facing, and yet they had a sense of hope and peace very different from the world. In fact, Jesus told us himself that the peace that he offers is different than the world. Listen to what he says in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, for many of us, the world's definition of peace is always the absence of something. When the virus goes away, I will have peace. When my kids go back to school, I will have peace. When my job can pay me my normal salary, then I will have peace. But for the early Christians, it wasn't the absence of something, but the presence of someone. The Holy Spirit was dwelling inside of them. Last week, we talked about how God is over us. He is working things out. He is overseeing his plan. Uh, God is with us. We see that Jesus is God with us. He was in flesh with humanity. But then we also see that God is in us with the Holy Spirit. Now, if this is a new idea for you or sounds kind of uh, crazy, stick with us and let's see what we can find today and realize that the Holy Spirit is a power, but the Holy Spirit is a person, a person living inside of us, giving us power and direction, giving us hope. So let's look now to our passage um, in Ephesians 5. Now, when we talked last week, we talked about how Paul is calling for the Christians in Ephesus to live an examined life. I appreciate what Bill Johnson says. He says that the enemy, uh, Satan, is not just trying to get me to sin. He is satisfied whenever I embrace an inferior way of thinking and a compromised purpose of my life. Meaning you have an enemy. He doesn't just want to see you do the wrong thing. He wants to make sure that you miss out on the purpose of your life. Paul is concerned about this, and that's why in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's, what the Lord's will is. And we talked about this last week. And what we said is that word means carefully means accurately or precisely. And that Paul's plea here is to live an examined life, to look at every part of my life, how I use my time, how I make decisions. Every area of my life is examined for the purpose of, of living out the mission God has given us. In verse 18, he says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Also, what we said last week is the word drunk means to be saturated with, to be dominated by something. Uh, and the word debauchery literally means to, to be spilled out, to be wasted. And so being drunk, it means to, that you squander energy. It's, it's to use up your energy in a way that gets you nowhere. And so what Paul was saying was, we're called to live an examined life. Um, he was speaking into a particular context in the first century where people worshipped the god of wine. And a part of the worship was to get drunk. And whatever you said when you were drunk was considered inspired by that god. They even gave three-year-olds little jugs so they could get drunk as well. And so you could imagine how much chaos was taking place. Paul is going to use some similarities and some differences between being drunk. Uh, when you're drunk, you may have more courage, but the reason you have more courage is all of your senses are, are depressed. Like you're, you're not as aware. You, you don't have as much balance. Uh, your focus is, is, is more narrow because you block everything out. It numbs the pain. The opposite is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God, comes into us and he heightens our decision-making, our wisdom, our, our ability to make choices. It's, he also gives us courage, but it's very different. So there's some similarities and some differences. But Paul says the Holy Spirit will help us to live this examined life. Um, what we said last week is, the, is being filled with the Holy Spirit is not about losing control. It's actually about being more focused. That term, be filled with the Holy Spirit, is, is in the present progressive tense, meaning it's an ongoing action. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, just want to be clear, just like we said, every person who's a believer has the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you confess Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. In fact, for you to confess Jesus as Lord is a work of the Holy Spirit. But we also said there is this thing in Scripture that's described as the filling with the Holy Spirit. There's these extraordinary moments in Scripture where they experience the fullness of the Spirit, and there's joy, and there's remarkable power. Now, depending on your background, uh, you may not look at this as a separate event. You just may say, well, we have the Holy Spirit, and then Scripture describes refilling. Uh, some backgrounds say, no, this is a distinct spiritual experience. It's a special moment where the Spirit empowers you and gives you the ability to perform specific deeds for Christ's service. And wherever you fall in that is, is really up to you. However, what we can't deny in Scripture is that there is something called the filling of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with, and that Scripture says to continue being filled. And so what's the purpose of that? Well, we didn't really get the chance to talk about that last week, so I just want to share 
why Paul was telling them it was important to be filled. From Scripture, we see that being filled with the Holy Spirit gives us power. Power to do what? Well, there's power to witness. Simon Peter was a fisherman. Simon Peter made a lot of mistakes. And yet, Simon Peter also denied even knowing Jesus. But after seeing the resurrected Jesus, and after being filled with the Holy Spirit, we see that Peter gets up and speaks a very simple message, and 3,000 people decide to follow Jesus and make Him Lord of their life. That's because the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's power to witness. There's power to share about Jesus. There's also power, Scripture says, to do mighty acts. Uh, the Spirit enables the believers in Acts chapter 6 to perform miracles and extraordinary works. Um, we believe that God does miracles today, that God heals people of diseases and sickness and does incredible things around the world and here at home. So we believe that being filled with the Holy Spirit helps us to have a power to witness. It gives us a power to see miracles, but it also gives us a power to withstand persecution. This might be a power that maybe in the past we didn't think much about, but as culture continues to change, it will be more and more important for believers to be filled with the Spirit. Um, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, the early Christians faced persecution. They stood before hostile mobs, uh, kings. They triumphed over violence, riots, even being in prison because they were filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't only give us power, but Scripture says He also guides us into all truth. That's something we could all benefit from right now. Being filled with the Holy Spirit gives us power, but He also guides us in truth. And that connects to what Paul's talking about, right? Having wisdom. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Uh, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. In verse 14, he will glorify me. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would glorify him. Well, what does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit will give you a deeper, more clear, more visible knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, the, the, the Spirit takes the things that are true about Jesus and makes them more real and more personal to us. Maybe you're a Christian and you're frustrated because you say, I, I, just, I just wish I could feel that God was real. I wish that, there, that I could just know that He's there. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today in our passage. But it's important to realize that there's other results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a matter of having power. And it's not just a matter that the Spirit guides all believers to truth. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus, making Him more real and more clear to you and I. You see, another way to say that is the Holy Spirit gives us greater awareness of God's presence. Wouldn't that be wonderful, especially with all that we're facing right now, when we see injustice, when we see so many terrible things taking place and politicians making promises and we can be overwhelmed. Wouldn't it be great to really feel the presence of God, as if He's in the room with you. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones 
uh, a pastor from many, many years ago, described being filled with the Holy Spirit this way. He says, we know that in Jesus we're a son or daughter of God, and yet there are times where the Spirit comes alongside of us and gives us this immediate strong sense of His love, meaning you know it in your mind, but there's moments where the Holy Spirit really makes it feel real. Uh, he describes it this way. If a father and his young son are walking along together, uh, that child is his son. But when the father picks up the son and holds him close to his chest and says, I love you, uh, nothing's changed in their relationship. He is still his son. And yet in that moment, that close embrace, that spoken word, it's just affirmed in a way that the child can feel and understand. Being filled with the Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity to feel the presence of God. Just as if God was picking us up and saying, I am with you in the midst of this difficult time. Isn't that something you and I both want with all that we're facing? Another thing that the Holy Spirit does is He gives us a greater love for the Scriptures. Sometimes we struggle to read. Maybe you've decided you're going to read through the Bible and you get in Leviticus and you're like, what is happening? Why are they killing all these animals? Why is there so much blood? No wonder they'll never make a movie about Leviticus. It would be too violent. Or you get stuck on the names and genealogies. Well, a part of what the Holy Spirit does is He helps us to understand the Scriptures. In fact, Paul, in the letter of Ephesians that we're in right now, spends a lot of time at the beginning explaining the details of the Gospel, and yet eventually he stops after the first three chapters, and he stops explaining and just starts praying. And here's what he prays. He prays that the Holy Spirit would help those in Ephesus to grasp and understand how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is saying there's an experience knowledge. There's a knowledge that we experience, that we gain through those feelings of feeling God's presence. And he says, I want the Holy Spirit to make it real to you. Um, one of the most popular questions I get as a pastor, and probably every pastor, is what is God's will for my life? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I purchase this home? But what we see in Scripture is the Holy Spirit works in us to shape us into being the kind of person God wants us to be. When we become the kind of people God wants us to be, we will do the things God wants us to do. The Holy Spirit wants you to be like Jesus. And so God is working in your life through difficulty, through circumstances, through great times in prayer, and through really big challenges in life to make you like Jesus. Uh, but the, the more specific issues of where should I live and what kind of job should I have? Well, a part of that is when we read Scripture and see who we are to become, it becomes more clear about what we are to do. When it comes to hope, when it comes to direction, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, God uses the church many times. He will always use His Word, first and foremost, to help us understand His will. But other times, the church plays a role. In the New Testament, and what we said specifically in Acts, the Holy Spirit appears 59 times. 36 of those times, he is speaking, guiding, and instructing. One of the ways that he guides us is through the church, 
Think about this. In Acts chapter 13, this is what it says. While the church was worshiping the Lord and fasting, so the church was worshiping, fasting, singing songs, praising God, hymns, spontaneous songs of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, so the Holy Spirit speaks, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Meaning God gave the church specific insight into what he wanted for Paul and Barnabas and what they should do. That happened in a church gathering. God will always use his word to guide us, but sometimes God uses the church through the Holy Spirit to bring guidance to us as well. Another way that the Holy Spirit guides us is through our giftings. The way you and I know what God wants from us is by looking at the gift he has given to us. Another way to say that is you learn what God has for you by looking at what God has put in you. What gifts and talents do you have? That's another way the church helps. The church affirms the gifts that it sees in you. Other believers see the gifts because sometimes we know, but sometimes it's hard. Uh, many ways, it, it, it's like this. There's things that you're passionate about, that you're good at, that bring glory to God, and other believers might say, hey, I think you have that gift. Sometimes helpful tools or spiritual gifts assessments uh, they used to call them tests, but people felt nervous because they thought they might fail. So now they're called surveys. Um, this is just one of the ways that asks you some questions to help you see where maybe there's gifting in your life. And that's something our church can make available to you if you're interested. But another way that it happened in the first century is other believers would notice the gifts inside of you. So God's word gives us guidance, but also the church um, and also our giftings. Another way that the Holy Spirit guides our lives is in our spirit. You may hear people say that sometimes, but the Holy Spirit can many times speak to us through a thought or, or through a scripture, through a song uh, in our heart. God sometimes puts in our hearts a burning ambition or a dream. Uh, some authors call it a holy disconnect. Uh, and it serves as guidance for maybe something God wants you to do. And one of the questions that Andy Stanley asks is this, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? What are the things that you see happening in the world that fill you with such emotion? And, and, and you say, there's got to be something done about this. This is not the way that God would want things to be. What is that for you? In fact, if you're watching, I, I would encourage you to pause and, and maybe think about, discuss that question. What breaks your heart? Because many times that may be what God is dealing with you about. He's narrowing your focus. He's provoking your spirit and giving you a holy disconnect about maybe it's children that are in foster care. Maybe it's families that, that need help financially. And sometimes that's a way that God speaks to us. Uh, another way is through our circumstances. And what I mean by that is this. There are times when God does the opposite of what we expected him to do. Um, have you ever thought, you know what, God, I'm going to do this. Um, you, you know, you're going to provide this great opportunity and, and I'm going to be the, the, the boss at my job. And, and through that, I'll have great influence to tell people about Jesus. Or, you know, if we could purchase this, this larger home, we could have people over for small group. Maybe you had a plan and then circumstances changed. Uh, the job went to someone else. Uh, that person you asked to marry you said no. The home loan fell through. Or how about this one? Your health. 
your health declined and you thought, God, this is not what I thought you had planned for my life. You were doing the thing you thought God called you to do. And then that door unexpectedly closed right in your face. That can be such a difficult situation. But what we see in Scripture is in Acts chapter 4, Simon Peter and John were most likely surprised as well. Uh, they knew they'd face some per persecution, but they believed that they had a message that was going to go out to the world. And so you could imagine what it was like as they were speaking to the people, and it says that the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were, they were annoyed. Uh, they didn't want them spreading this message about Jesus. Now, if you stop for a minute, you might think, well, if God wants us to share the good news, wouldn't he make it easy? But many times we see in Scripture, those working for the gospel faced incredible odds, many times disaster, crisis, really hard situations. Well, in this case, these men were arrested and then later released, and they were told, stop preaching about Jesus. Well, where do you think they went and what do you think they did? Acts 4 verse 23 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. So Simon, Peter, and John went to uh, their friends. They went to the church and they said, Hey, we were arrested and here's what they told us. And look what the church does in verse 31. And when they had prayed... When they prayed, they prayed as a body. They prayed as believers. Could they have prayed by themselves? Absolutely. But what happened is when they prayed together as a church, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. Could you imagine if when we gathered together, we were so in tune, so focused? What if God just decided to shake the building a little bit? Well, that's what happened here. And it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. These were people who had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is that continuing thing that Paul was talking about. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, in that passage, it's just kind of all of this in a nutshell. The apostles and early Christians looked to the scriptures. They looked to the Old Testament at the time, what they had, and, and they looked to God's word to decide, okay, God, what have you called us to do? And, and they looked to the teachings of Jesus and what he had called them to do. But they also looked to the church. They returned to the church and said, hey guys, here's what happened. Let's pray together. Um, they looked at their giftings. In the book of Acts, there are times where some church leaders recognize that their gifting is in teaching, but there's a really important ministry to take care of the widows. And so they find men with different giftings and the church is a part of that as well, helping them identify their giftings. The Holy Spirit, you know, began to speak to them, but also through their circumstances. They had to make a decision. God, this door seems to be closed. These religious leaders who we were brought up to listen to have told us that we can't preach Jesus. They knew at that moment, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, after speaking with the church, that they were to speak the word of God with boldness. That same opportunity is offered to you and I. So you might be saying, well, how do I get the gift? Well, you know, sometimes that can be the wrong question. Maybe we say, I need that gift. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I need more courage. I'm an anxious person. I need that. I want that. Sometimes people can chase after a spiritual high. They, they just want the experience. Because to be honest, 
being filled with the Holy Spirit is an incredible experience. There's great joy and a sense of power, a close feeling of God's presence. But if you want the gift, you can't want the gift more than the giver. You can't want the gift more than the giver. Meaning in the church, we get into a dangerous place when we search for the gift more than the giver. Um, think about it. Um, joy is always the byproduct, Tim Keller says, of wanting something more than joy, right? You, you normally don't seek out joy. You seek out a person or a relationship. And the byproduct of that relationship is joy. You see, to experience the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is about wanting more of God. It's, it's about wanting Him. And being filled is, is the byproduct of that. We want the gift more than the giver. Think about this for a moment. J.I. Packer says that the Holy Spirit is involved in the floodlight ministry. Think of a floodlight. Floodlights, man, they shine so bright on something. Packer says that the Spirit is a floodlight. He quietly turns everyone's attention to Jesus. So I would encourage you, yes, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the way that happens is by focusing and worshiping and praying and singing to and about. Jesus. And when we do that, and especially scripture shows us over and over again, something powerful about the church gathered together. When we do that, we can identify gifts. We can see God's spirit leading us. We can help each other interpret circumstances, and we can be filled with the spirit to have great hope and great power in these uncertain times. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that our focus would be on the giver and not just the gift. Pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. If anyone watching does not know Jesus, I pray first and foremost that they would make Jesus the Lord of their life. But I also pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, with power that would lead to all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you and have a great week you so much for joining us today. We love the opportunity to walk this journey with you. And one way that you can help us do that is navigate over to northparkrdu.com and simply click that digital connect card. Give us the opportunity to share with you some things that are happening at North Park, but even more important than that, we wanna to get to know more about you. We wanna partner with you to see God's best in your life. So if you've not filled out that digital connect card, take an opportunity to do that. And please know we want to invest in your life by praying some bold prayers. So there's a prayer request button on that website as well. We would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. And so I want to thank you in advance for you trusting us to pray with you. And finally, if you'd like to make a financial investment in the mission to build lifelong followers of Jesus, just hit that online giving button. And we want to thank you in advance for your generosity, especially in this season. Thanks for joining us today. Please remember that you are loved and we are cheering you on.